right this minute. I want to introduce Jim and Gail Ryder here. Uh, Jim, Gail, stand up just a minute. Jim doesn't see you, but you see him. He's got a uh, degenerative itis. He was one of our original elders here in our church that helped us, oh, I don't know, 30 years ago with all this vision and dreaming. And so we're glad to welcome him and his wife to our, our service uh, this morning. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians 5 and 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let's just quit right there for a second. See, I got, you know, you, you start reading through your Bible, and I do, and, and I've read it for years and years and years and years. But it's the living Word of God. See, every time you read it, you kind of discover a little something different, a little twist on the Word. So when I got to, like Christ loved the church, I got to thinking, well, I better figure out how that is. That's my job, to love my wife. And actually, it's the word agape love. It's the word that I'm to love you with. It's the kind of love a, a shepherd would show his congregation. It's, the, it's, it's God's kind of love to his people. And so how does God love the church? So I got to looking at all that, and we're going to end up in Philippians in just a few minutes, which is just a book over. But uh, we're going to learn some things there. But then I got to looking at this entire passage, and it goes on and it says that uh, it, it, it says that the wives are to uh, submit themselves to their own husbands as unto the Lord. Everything has to be as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It says, slaves or servants, obey, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart, as you would Christ. And then it goes down further, and it talks about that the masters do the same thing to them, uh, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there's no partiality with him. You get to looking at this passage, and every relationship that we're involved in, whether it's in the home, whether it's in society, or whether it's at church, or no matter what it is, it has to do with the mind of Christ responding to one another as Christ would have us respond. And so, I got to look in over in Philippians chapter 2. You can turn over there, Philippians chapter 2. We pick up in verse 5. No, excuse me. Yeah, verse 5. Get my paper loaded. Bad is bad is right. I scratched my eyes, or one eye, the other day mowing. It got some trash in it. And rubbed it and scratched the eye. And it's like a gravel road in my face. So I finally found a doctor to give me some medicine that would relieve it. The only place I could find it was at Walgreens in West Memphis. So I drove, I'm glad you weren't on the interstate, I drove one-eyed over to uh, West Memphis yesterday, and I got this medication. I go running out in the parking lot, and I kick my head back. Sure enough, ooh, it quit hurting. I said, this is fantastic. Now that I can read, I'm only in read the instructions. 
and the instruction said that I can use it three times a day. I said, well, that's great. Then before I got home, my eye was hurting again. That relief lasts for 45 minutes. So I get 45 minutes of relief every <laughs> three times a day. <laughs> I don't know who to figure out I want to hurt. Really, I want to hurt the doctor, the pharmacist, or what, for having to go. I guess me, because I'm the one that scratched my eye. But uh, anyway, now, Philippians 2, 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming uh, obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then it says God has highly exalted him. We'll look at that in a minute. But I am to my relationship with my wife, with my children, with fellow employees and, and, and co-workers and uh, with one another is to be staged and framed with the mindset of Christ. And we're given the very mind of Christ in that he was equal with God in every respect and had every right to claim his Godhead and to claim his deity. But he didn't do that. He emptied himself. Emptied himself. The hardest part about being able to love somebody else is to get past the I syndrome in life. As long as I am the more important person, I'll never be able to love and I'll never be able to love. As long as the I, me, as long as self is the most important person in my life, I cannot love, nor will I be able to be loved. Because if I am important, I don't have, if I'm more important to you, I don't have to love you with everything I got. You know, you're, you're, uh, some people, and I know I'm digging a hole, some people just love their dogs more than they do human beings. I had my dog at the vet the other day getting him haircut, and the woman said, uh, Mr. Latimer, I'm going back now and get your baby. I said, don't you bring no baby back from out there. I want my dog back. <laughs> I plumb hurt the lady's feelings. <laughs> but... You know, I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna mistreat my dog in any shape, form, or fashion. Got it? I'm gonna be good to my dog, but he ain't sleeping in my bed. He ain't people, and I think I'm more important than my dog, and I don't share my bed with my dog. Now, I know some of you did, and that's the end. I'm your dog. Your dog's luckier than my dog. That's all I can say. Okay. So as long as I think I'm better than my dog, I don't have to quite give my dog my very, very best. 
Now, is that okay to treat Linda like my dog? Or my children like my dog? No, I have to give them my very, 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 very best, and in order to do that, I have to put them ahead of me. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Even though he had the right to be super on top. You got it? He had the right to be super on top in order to love us. He ended up putting himself super on the bottom so that he could give himself for us. And this importance that we give ourselves steals from our family and our own self-fulfillment. I was, uh, uh, several years ago, it was right after 9-11, I was up in Quantico, Virginia to a, to a training thing for that the FBI did. And I had a guy that had been uh, one of the counselors on site at 9-11, and he was teaching this particular course. And he made an observation that uh, at the end of his training, couple of weeks he was getting ready to go back home live in Baltimore so he was interested he was uh, fixing to go back home but one of the uh, one of the doctor friends there in the area carried him to a, a fancy restaurant there in, in New York uh, for his meal before he caught the train the next morning and it was kind of in the theater area and he was there in this restaurant and this uh, a man and woman came in in a huff dressed to the nine I mean, they had money just kind of dripping off of them. And they sat down at the table, were rude to the waiter, demanded the quick service. They were going to be late to the theater. Hurry up and do this. We have to have this. We had to do that. And, and, and they went through this the entire meal, grumbling and griping and complaining and uh, nibbled at their meal, and they got up and left because they were running late to the theater. Now, we're talking about... Uh, $120, $130 a plate meal. And these folks just shot through it like it was McDonald's. A couple of uh, days later, he had gotten back home. He was uh, going to an Orioles game, and he said he'd like to get there early and watch bat and practice. And it was this little fat kid. Got him a hot dog. Just a vendor's hot dog. And he comes and he sits down in front of this guy and he opens up his hot dog and he, you know, spreads the bun just right, turns the meat like he wants it, and he puts on his relish and he puts on his mustard and he puts on his ketchup and then he picked it up and he admired it. starts eating his hot dog. You know, for all practical purposes, that little fella enjoyed his hot dog a whole lot more than those rich folks ran through that meal over in that high-dollar restaurant. It's kind of who you think you are. If you think you're so God-mighty important, then there's not much blessing in life you're a humble little fat kid with your hot dog. You can enjoy and savor and really get the very best out of life and give the best 
of yourself. And that's exactly the way Jesus came. He came and he emptied himself. He thought that this God thing was not something that had to be grasped or to be held on to, but to give it up for our sake was the way he wanted to love us. And so he made himself nothing. Nothing. They wanted to know what kind of a king would be born in a barn. What kind of a king would be born in a barn? A king who wanted to live and die and love his subjects. That's the kind of a king that would be born in a barn. When the wise men came to find uh, the, the, the king and they went to the palace and they asked, they asked Herod, where's the king of the Jews? Herod said, well, he ain't here. And so nobody thought to look in the barn. But eventually there was the prophecy that he was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And so Herod just went in and killed everybody two years old and under so he'd be sure to get him. Nobody thought. He emptied himself completely. Not only did he empty himself, but he took on himself the form of a servant or a slave. We have a beautiful picture of this in uh, the Lord's Supper, the final meal with the disciples. The disciples knew something big was up. They didn't know what. They'd been with Jesus for three and a half years, and and this final uh, they, this final Passover as they were here, even down in Jericho. You remember they had uh, uh, went to Zacchaeus' house, and then they had uh, also the Bartimaeus, the blind man, had been healed. But as they were leaving Jericho to walk up the hill, up the mountain to Jerusalem, James and John's mother came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, when you get into your kingdom, Will you let one of my sons sit on your right hand and the other on your left? She was asking for her sons to be vice president or secretary of state. That's what she was asking for. She thought, and they thought, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. He was going to overthrow the Romans. He was going to set up this earthly kingdom. And these guys were going to be in the big time. Boy, don't you know Judas was excited. He was going to be Secretary of Treasury. And it was all going to be good. And all week long, Jesus had had these confrontations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers. And uh, he had just dumbed them down because of his wisdom and uh, their, their arrogant superiority attitude. So they came that night to their Passover meal. Jesus had told them how to arrange it. And it was customary that someone would have washed their feet. The streets of biblical days were dirt streets, maybe stone. But garbage was thrown into the streets. They didn't have sanitary sewers like we have today. And the streets were nasty and dirty. 
and it was hot, and you walked, and you sweat, and your sandals, and your feet were nasty. And when you came in to eat, you reclined on couches head to foot. Lay this way, the other guy head this way. You were laying at some other dude's feet. Surely to God you wanted his feet washed. It was awful. So somebody was to wash the feet. But none of the twelve would humble himself to the other eleven enough so that one of them would pick up the towel and wash the disciples' feet. And the Bible says Jesus, who was the head of the table, stood up and took off his robe. Now his robe was the robe of a rabbi. I've been to Israel on several occasions, and uh, the Jewish people do, do not question there was a Jesus. In fact, I can't find anybody legitimate, a legitimate thinker in our day who would deny there was a Jesus. The question is who he was. Uh, but they, belong, they believe that he was a rabbi. There are many, many rabbis, uh, and they draw little cliques to themselves. They, they draw little cults to themselves. There have been many, many radical rabbis throughout history that have been killed because of what they taught. And that's the way the Jewish people look at Jesus. They think that Jesus was a rabbi, a radical rabbi, who messed around and got himself killed. That's the way Judaism perceives Jesus. And so uh, Jesus would have had on uh, the, the attire of a rabbi. He would have had the little uh, prayer uh, uh, ropes on, and he would have dressed, he would have been recognized as such. So he stood up. And he took off his outer garment, left him in his underwear. And he tied a towel around his waist. And he picked up a pitcher of water and a bowl. And he went around from disciple to disciple to disciple and washed their feet. Now concerning your family, your friends, the people you work with, all of your associates. Let me ask you a question. Do you see yourself standing with a robe on, or do you see yourself girded with a towel? And that's going to be the difference between whether you're loving or not. Is the position you see yourself in. Do you see yourself as lucky them or lucky me? In your relationship, are you the one that's blessed? Are you the one that's just lucky that God put you in that phenomenal spot to have that wife and have those kids and to have this church and to have your job and to be where you are? Or has God not blessed you? Lucky you. Or do you see it the other way around? That everybody sure is lucky to know you. They sure are lucky you take care of them. They sure are lucky you're there. Boy, if, it, if you weren't there, they'd just all fall apart, wouldn't they? That attitude. Because that's the attitude of Christ. What is the attitude of Christ? The attitude of Christ is in His moment of finality. When all the pressure of all of the world, heaven and hell, 
was on him. Nobody felt sorry for him. Nobody understood. But instead of him claiming and clinging to that which was his, he took off the robe, he put on the towel, he got on his knees, and he began to be a servant to those that he That's agape love. That's how we love. We love as a servant. We don't love as a ruler. We love as a servant. It went further. Not only did... Uh, I flung my notes off someplace. You're a fine man. I don't care what they say about you. Thank you, my brother. You worried about that one? I wasn't till I looked down, <laughs> and then I seriously worried. <laughs> but not only that, he was willing to go further than being a servant. He was going further than a servant. He was willing to put himself in harm's way and die first when the first shots were fired. I don't know about this congregation. I really don't. I know over there in Bartlett that about 70 people are packing. I mean, them rednecks are packing. I want you to know. You understand? And I've often wondered what would happen if one of those bad guys came in. Because Grant will be okay. All he's got to do is turn sideways. Ain't nobody that good a shot. But the fat boy. So I decided that I'm going to call the gunman a sissy and I'm going to fall in the floor because I believe somebody get him. Question is, I don't know how many they're going to take out in the process. <laughs> but the one who was willing to put himself at death for our sake. I was preaching one Sunday about husbands loving your wives and, and, you know, Jesus died for us. So I said, how many of you guys be willing to die for your wife? Well, every man in the house raised his hand. Why? Because he knew wasn't nobody going to require it. I said, well, how many carried out the garbage for her yesterday? Oops, and I went from preaching to meddling, you know. <laughs> it's the servant who's willing to put anything, his own life, ahead of his family. Is that not cool? That's exactly what Jesus did. But it gets, how can you get lower? How can you get lower than a servant? Well, you can die. How can you get lower than dying? You can die on the cross. The death of the cross was a death of humiliation. Uh, when... You know, the Apostle Paul uh, was a martyr. But because he was a Roman citizen, they whacked his head off. Well, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not excited to go out and get my head cut off today. But I'd rather have my head cut off in a, in a two-minute ordeal than I had to hang four days on a cross. And it did. Sometimes it took four days. And they hung them, they put them on a cross on a public thoroughfare, on a public road. 
And it was expected of those to pass by, to make fun of, to jeer, to spit on, to throw rocks at, to humiliate in any way that is possible the one hanging on the cross. Because the cross death was reserved for one who was to be humiliated. Now, you know Bartlett's a little different. Uh, there was a time in Bartlett City Hall, in the urinal, you know that little smelly thing in there that's supposed to be like a screen and a grate. Uh, they had a picture of Bin Laden on That City Hall Bartlett had a picture of Bin Laden in the urinal. You reckon, eh? you reckon there was a message in that? That's kind of the cross death. You understand what I'm saying? It was, we didn't want to kill Bin Laden. <laughs> we just wanted to make that dude suffer. We had bitterness against him. And that's exactly the point behind the cross death. So Jesus not only was willing to humble himself to be our servant, he not only was willing to die for us, he was willing to take whatever degree of humiliation was necessary for our sake. So, when we come to those that we are in association with, you the, you the boss of your company, you see yourself as the, as the, as the boss or the servant. Husband, you see yourself as the boss or the servant? You see yourself as the church owes me or I owe the church? How do you see yourself? Because that's the definition of love. The definition of love is somebody who can empty himself, is somebody who can become a servant, somebody who would not even put his own life ahead of those he loves and if necessary suffer all types of humiliation for the one that they love and what I discovered was when I read that and I began to think about it I said Lord I hadn't been loving like I need to be loving It's easy to place a limit on love. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Okay, you got a broken arm. Okay, for three months I'll scratch your back and you won't have to scratch my back. But when your arm gets well, you owe me. You follow what I'm saying? And we keep a record of that. Hey, wait a minute. I did the dishes last night. Hey. I believe I've done more this week. You remember, I mowed the yard too. Isn't there danger of getting run over? Sure is. Sure is. It's called the risk of love. When you love somebody, you run a risk of getting run over. But unless you run the risk, of getting run over. You're not ever going to know love. 
we're going to know love. Because love is very risky. My little Grant taught me something. I used to say that love was not a feeling. It was a choice. Because I don't feel like I'm in love all the time. But I can act like it. I can choose to act like it. But I was wrong. Love is a feeling. It's always a feeling. And sometimes it feels really bad to be in love. Sometimes it hurts really bad when you love. People you love hurt your feelings. People you love disappoint you. People you love break your heart. People you love die. People you love fail. God says, you love like Christ loved. You pay the price. Brothers and sisters, that's what separates Christians from the rest of the world. The love we're able to show our families and one another and the world around us, that's the difference between a Christian and everyone else. Jesus said that, or, or excuse me, John said that they will be known by their love. Christians will be known not by their doctrine, not by their preaching, not by their music, not by their pretty buildings, but Christians are going to be known by their love. Heavenly Father, that's the way you loved me. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and gave himself for us. He didn't wait till we got better. He didn't wait till we deserved it. He didn't wait till we even asked for it. He just went ahead and loved us and died for us. A humiliating death. Because he loved us. then he says too now you love back you go out and you demonstrate and you live the love life the Christian agape God centered love life that I've given you so Lord if there's some here today who haven't believed and trusted in Jesus Christ know that he loves them know that he wants them Know that he's reaching for them, already dying for them. All they have to do is say yes. However, Holy Spirit speaking about whatever relationship in your life, you just put it before him. Let him convict. Let him bring you to healing and bring you to a newness and a freshness in your life. You walk in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.
We're going to stand. We're going to sing. I'm going to be down here.